Welcome to the Dance Floor Ballroom Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things ballroom. I am very fortunate to have as my guest host today, Elise Griffiths. Hi, Elise Griffiths. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> Good, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? Good. We've actually gotten to spend some time together today, which is great because as we met tonight, we were discussing how interesting friendships in the ballroom community form. I feel like I've known you for, gosh, it's got to be at least six or seven years. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> but like, I don't actually know you that well because in the ballroom world, you see each other at competitions, you see each other at the studio, you say hi, and it's like five minute interactions, but I feel like I know you. Yeah, it's really strange because, you know, you come in, it's like, all right, 30 seconds. Hey, how's it going? Oh, we're leaving the studio. We're done practicing. All right, good. How good. was it? Good. All right. Yeah. Good to see you. And I've seen your face, so I feel like I connect with you. And then there's also, we've discussed there's Facebook, so I feel right. like I know your whole life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much bear it all out. On right. I'm excited to have you on the podcast today because I feel like you have a very unique perspective, not just as a person, but as a ballroom dancer. When I first met you, mm-hmm. I met you as Corey Griffiths. That's true. You were dancing amateur at the time at a, a, a really high level. So my husband, Lewis and I were going to throw our first and only ever showcase for some reason. We, at the time, didn't have, I guess, a venue or there was going to be maybe three or four months where there was no studio throwing a showcase. So Lewis had a bunch of students who just wanted to do a showcase Mm -hmm. and we're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I guess we'll throw one. And it was the only one we've ever thrown. It was super fun, but Mm -hmm. we just needed one. So we did it ourselves. And in the professional show, we had wanted to ask you and your partner to do a dance because we were fans of yours, uh, of your dancing. And to be very clear, we were thrilled to get that, that <laughs> invite. It was like, oh, we got invited to do it. We were so excited. <laughs> yeah. And you guys did a tango. I still remember it. It was incredible. And I love the song oh, that so you guys did. It. Yeah. It tango was... to Roxanne. Yeah. Yeah. So I just have a question. Are yeah. you a choreographer or are you more of a... Like, what? what's your role usually in creating dances? My partner liked to do a lot of the, like, she had a very, like, quick, quick idea of, like, concept of what she wanted to create. Mm-hmm. Um, so often, like, she was kind of the one who came up with the initial framework for the dance. And then you kind of fit yourself into it, how it would work? Yeah, and, you know, like, I would, you know, there'd be things that, like, I, I would feel like, all right, I don't think this works for me, or I think I can, I think we can improve on this portion or this portion. Kind of um, almost like cleaning the dance or, like... Yeah. Kind of spotting it a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, when you're putting choreography together, it's really easy to think about your own part, I think. You know, like, I was definitely guilty of this. Like, it's easy to think about, all right, this is what I do here and then here. But then it's really easy to not think about your partner as much just because you're not in that space as much. Yeah, it's easy. Well, and so we come from two different backgrounds. It, you're coming mm-hmm. from more of a standard international style, right? Absolutely. That's sort of yeah. your wheelhouse. Yeah. And I'm coming from American style where uh, now for show dances, obviously you guys can be on opposite sides of the room in yeah, the middle we can, of the number. Yeah, we can break apart and it's weird and it's crazy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I feel, so I feel like that even is a completely different approach to partner dancing because, and we'll talk about this a little bit more mm-hmm. too. We'll talk about sort of like these two different schools of thought when it comes to American versus international style. But I'm always curious with that, with dance partnerships, because I did love that tango so much. And I think you guys <sighs> did an amazing job with it. I still remember it. Your partner wore a green dress. It was gorgeous. So I met you as Corey and you were dancing, as I said, as an uh, amateur international dancer at, a, at an amazing level. And I now know you as Elise. Yes. So I was actually introduced to a least through your announcement on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so were a lot of other people. (laughs) Yeah. And it seemed to me, and you can give me a little bit more perspective on this. It seemed to me that there was a lot of support and a lot of welcoming to Elise. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, uh, it was overwhelming. I, up to that point, um, you know, this has been a thing for, for me since I was, since I can remember, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was really little and, you know, you, you kind of think about it when you're going to bed and, you know, I'm not very religious, honestly, but, mm-hmm. uh, like the couple times I did pray, it was for, you know, Hey, you know, my aunt Pam, just in case take good care of her up there. Right. Um, and also like, Hey, if I could wake up tomorrow a little different, like, that'd be great. Honestly, selfish things from my end. Like it's been a thing, like, you know, go back to like college, I was doing research and back then the medical care was terrible and like the gatekeeping you had to go through. Um, so I like, I shut it down in college, like after doing a bit of research and oh gosh, that was a while ago now. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you fast forward to, uh, you know, a couple of years ago at this point when I had this kind of out of the blue revelation, you know, part of partly kicked off by people like Caitlyn Jenner, like Jazz Jennings, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Uh, <laughs> she was in Rocky Horror, Orange is the New Black. 
Laverne Cox. Laverne Cox, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Caitlyn Jenner, Jazz Jennings, Laverne Cox, like, all of these people were becoming more and more front page type stuff. And I, and like, honestly, like, it was this cascade of Facebook articles that I wrote through. And usually I'm really, really good at avoiding all the ads and targeted right. things. And, um, like, somebody somebody posted a thing about, I think, Caitlin, and then I can actually you know I'm reading an article about jazz, and, you know, it kind of like all dumps on you at once. In that moment, or a series of moments, I guess, you start to realize, like, this is this is actually me. Yeah, because it's, it's scary as fuck. Yeah. Um, when you're realizing that, like, there's this thing that you think about it, like, yeah, of course, this is me. Like, you don't think about it every moment, but it's, it's there, and you just kind of shove it down as much as you can. And if there's nothing causing you to think about it, then you're able to shut it down. But like once it surfaces and it, yeah, I just came out to myself, but like really it's like so much more. It's like this thing that like crosses that threshold of like, I can't just push it down anymore. Right. And I, I tell people this, like that is the single scariest thing that you can do as someone who's part of the LGBTQ plus community. There's this thing that you know about yourself and you know that you've never uttered a, a single word about that to anyone else in the community. And realizing that like, you don't even know what it's like to, speak those words and like there's like i don't know it's just so much fear that you wonder like can i just bottle it back up again and the answer is usually no that i'm as far as i know at least it was for me yeah well and kind of like once you open that box there's no lid to go back on it again so i mean even just making that decision obviously you know you you mentioned in college this is something that you were already thinking about and we you and i talked a little bit earlier that maybe i don't know if there's ever an optimal time obviously to no. have to go through this transition <laughs> no, there's, there's in life no optimal time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in today's world it's a little bit more known and it's a little bit yeah i feel like acceptable is is the wrong word to use but it's a little bit more no it's absolutely like it's totally like way more acceptable to do this now like if i had come out in it would have been like 2004 or five or so mm-hmm. it would have been a different story like all the gatekeeping you have to do with psychologists and like just the response like politically at that point like even like gay marriage wasn't a thing like that was yeah. still kind of blazing its own trail yeah it, and even like the medical care was not at, not where it is like it's come that has come a long way as well. Well, and as a transgender person today, mm-hmm. okay, so let's say it is more acceptable, there's more access to healthcare and to therapists, but we, we don't have the luxury of assuming that people haven't been struggling with this for years and years and years and years, even for yourself. So yeah, yeah. it is easy for, for someone like me to say like, wow, this is a great time for you, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's with that insensitivity of, of acknowledging that this is not something that just happened for you yesterday. Yeah. This is something that you been dealing with for years what was that like for you to finally make that announcement and then have that welcome and support kind of come back from that this is, this is actually like a question i feel like i get fairly often and people go wow was it so like it was really it was it has to have been crazy to try and tell the whole world even initially i go yeah that was really scary but at the same time by the time i had gotten to that point i had done some coming out privately to other people you know uh, family and friends it was getting to a point where like i felt like you know, i had some friends who were outing me to other friends mm-hmm. which by the way, listeners, not cool. Yeah. Um, when that happens, but I, you know, it's, it's, such a it's personal it's, moment. It's always done with best intentions, you know, and you know, like despite it not being cool, like I still appreciate the good intentions. Right. But at least for me, and I consider, I count myself very lucky in that like 99% of the reactions were really positive. Do you have a new name and pronouns that you used? How can I support you? I just want you to be happy. Like yeah. that's really the important thing. That got me every single time. It's such a relief every time you hear one of your close friends, um, and I have a lot of them, tell you that like they love you for who you are. You, you really can't hear it enough. Every time that someone says that to you, and even like not, not even something that like earth-shattering, even so much as someone just sharing a Facebook post that's, that's supportive, um, even something as little as that like builds your... You have this little like imaginary support structure, and you start with nothing, mm-hmm. and you build it up toothpick by toothpick, you know, and eventually to the point where you've got this whole Eiffel Tower. I'm, I'm like staring at this Eiffel Tower behind <laughs> you. So I'm like, the picture got this for analogy. inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just got back from Paris. You did too, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, weren't there at the same time, though. Was that was close. a bummer. It was. It was. Yeah. But yeah. And so, like, by the time 
I came, it came to like, feel like, all right, I need to get this out there publicly. It felt like it was more just like ripping off a small bandaid rather than like this big, enormous moment because I had been, I was out in Vermont with my family and we were just kind of hanging out back and forth, but I was like, I was mode switching all the time. Okay. Um, What do you mean by mode switching? So I was like, at that point I was like kind of doing girl mode for a while. Sometimes I was doing boy mode if like we were out in public and like there was a chance that like a friend from high school could see me or. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. I can't even imagine trying to live with that duality. It was, it was awful. At the same time. It was awful. I wanted to be able to tell people personally instead of having them just kind of see it and just kind of make their own thoughts and not feel like they could talk to me. Right. So I had switched whenever I felt like I didn't have control of the situation. And it kind of came to a head when my, my parents were like, hey, let's go out for ice cream. It's our last night here. I'm like, oh, it's the last night here. Oh, it's interesting. And then they were like, all right, let's go downtown. And I'm like, oh, downtown. That's where everyone is. And that means I have the mode switch again. Mm-hmm. I was like, do you mind if we go somewhere else that we've never been before? That's all the way, like, even further across town. And they were like, okay, yeah, sure. Turns out the ice cream was great, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, like, didn't have to mode switch. And I'm just like, okay, all right, I'm so done. So it's almost like you can be relaxed and just be natural? Right, yeah. At that point, I was like, all right, something needs to happen. And I literally typed up this post in the back seat of my parents. Um, they've got this Mustang convertible. They like to drive everywhere. It's like 10 years old. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm typing, typing this thing in the back. And then we get home, and I, I show my mom. Um, I'm like, can you proofread this? And he's like, whoa, what? Wow. <laughs> like, all right, this is happening. And a couple of my friends came over from my my Vermont ballroom community, actually. Uh, they came over and they were like, you want us to be there? Like, just to have somebody there to, you know, like hold your hand or whatever. That's incredible. Like, yeah. <laughs> wow. They came over and, you know, I, I had them look over it too. And yeah, like, okay. So there was a moment where I was just like, okay, this is happening. This is happening. <laughs> And I showed him, I, 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 I'm pointing at this imaginary phone in my hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I hit, I hit the sum, submit button on Facebook and Instagram and I was like, well, just did that thing that it's came down to you. And I, I actually put my phone down and just left it alone for like two hours. How did you have that amount of self-control? <laughs> because. That's insane. Because this entire time that you're coming out, even with that Eiffel Tower of support, structure yeah toothpicks yeah there's always that little demon inside that says i don't want to find out who's not going to be supportive oh for sure like i don't want to find out what friends i'm going to lose over this and people have that like i'm lucky in that i didn't lose very many people if any my family was supportive so like you never want to find out that these people who loved you so they say like turns out that's conditional yeah well and it's sad because i don't want to say i don't have faith in humanity but i feel like if you had made that same announcement 10 years ago i'm just guessing it would not have had the same effect and i I don't i don't want to say i i don't want to say that maybe people have changed over the past 10 years but i just think that even as a support system for someone who went through a transition like you. I just don't think that people were equipped with the language to even know no, how to weren't. welcome you. I wasn't co- equipped with the language. Right. Like, like, you know, we talk about like phobias and, and things that like people get wrong and like, just don't understand. I didn't understand this stuff. It's a much better time to be, be transgender, to be gay, to be queer. Yeah. And um, I think we still have a long way to come because There is a lot of, you know, obviously there's still a lot of stigma attached. I kind of like what you mentioned earlier, like just yourself as a human without the shell of femininity or masculinity or race Mm -hmm. or religion or color, whatever you want to think about it. Because we are, I feel like we're living in a very divisive world right now where we have a lot of extremes. We have people that are very welcoming to the um, LGBT community. And then we have like extreme racism and hatred at the same time. So I feel like we're living in a world that's kind of teetering on opposite Mm -hmm. sides of a seesaw. And it's, it's, it is a weird time to live in, but at our core, we we're we're humans we're together. Humans, yeah, and you know, I I do want to make sure I say this. There were some people in particular that I was uh, I was worried about, just because you see their posts on Facebook and you you see like maybe not even without like really thinking about it, just throwing stuff up out there that might be super transphobic, super anti LGBT, and it's I mean I I hate to make this generalization, but very typically like pro conservative, and like that was a judgment that I made that wasn't entirely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had a bunch of very religious, very conservative friends who reacted to that post on Facebook, which by the way, it was like 300% more 
reaction than I've ever gotten on anything else <laughs> on social media. That was crazy. Like, I even had a couple, like, kind of reach out privately and said, hey, like, just want to let you know, like, I support you. And you weren't expecting that from those people? No. No, I, think I wasn't. We're, and we're all guilty of that. We all are so socially preconditioned to think of people who have specific beliefs and when we, we put them in boxes because we just, it, sometimes it's easier to understand people that way. But I just actually, I don't know if you saw this on Facebook. I saw this clip of uh, Ellen DeGeneres was sitting at a Dallas Cowboys game, I think, next yeah, to President Bush. Yeah, that's very recent news. Yeah. yeah. And then people were kind of giving her a, a lot of flack for it because they were like, how can you be talking and be friendly with someone like that who's so unfriendly to your community and and she was like you know when I say be kind to people I don't just mean the people that agree with you it's everyone so the idea or the concept that you can be friends with or have a relationship with people that are on a completely different life path than you or even people that maybe don't fully understand what you're going through Mm -hmm. I think is is really an amazing concept I still really struggle with that whole that whole interaction, I'll be honest. On one hand, like, I like being friends with everyone. Like, right. I, I don't want to shut down anyone or ever if anyone feel like anyone can't come to talk to me about something. And, uh, like, at the same time, though, like, I, I get those reactions because this is, like, this person did stuff that, like, affected me. It's like easy, your it's, day-to-day life passing right. laws. Like this, th- like, this is me. This isn't, like, oh, this is just another law. And, like, this isn't, like, we disagree on how to balance a budget. This is, like, we disagree on who I am. Yeah. You don't get to decide who I am and what I can do. Like, <laughs> It um, seems like such a crazy thing to even have to think about it, but that these are the kind of things that are going to affect your life going forward that are still happening. Right. On one hand, I get what Alan was saying because you do want to be friends with people. On the other hand, like you got to acknowledge like the demons in the room as well. Yeah. And you know, acknowledge that like, hey, like we need to keep pushing and right. not just like let it go. Oh, we just agree to disagree because that's not going to be enough, unfortunately. And I obviously could totally see the struggle with those mixed emotions. And I think also kind of the cool thing behind that is if you are creating relationships with people that you disagree with on really huge things or really small things, whatever way it goes, you want to kind of maintain a presence in their life so that they see you as a person and not just an issue. If that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. And the bit of tailoring that I do do on, on social media, like I try to keep it real positive and be like, we've got this positive energy. Let's make good things happen out there. That's so Um, cool. So obviously as a transgender person in the ballroom community, I feel like it's going to be interesting to talk to you about gender roles and because gender roles are super defined in, in, in ballroom dancing and it's part of the tradition of it. But how did that transition of not just coming out mm-hmm. on Facebook, but also coming out specifically to the dance community, how do you feel like you were received as a transgender dancer? So I actually, so uh, when I came out on Facebook uh, and I had, I came back after that two hour hiatus, um, <laughs> I had a whole bunch of like just general likes and whatever, um, but also like some very like personal responses. Um, especially private messages. And I think the one that I really relished the most with regard to dance was like, how is this going to affect this thing that I've been doing since what feels like forever? Had you even thought about it at that point? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh wow, okay, cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because you recognize that, oh shoot, my like number one hobby is the world's most gendered thing ever. Yeah. Like, hey, how how much can we make ourselves look like a very heterosexual couple from the 1920s England? extreme, like it's crazy. So if if anyone's listening that's not as familiar with ballroom dancing, the gender roles are, are really, really, really polar opposites. The men have slicked hair, they're extremely groomed, they're in some form of a tuxedo, tails, suit and tie. Yep. The women are, uh, we, we wear fake tanner, we wear fake nails, we have as much makeup on as possible, oh our hair gosh, is yeah. perfect, <laughs> we have fake eyelashes. So it's, it is the most gendered sport I think you could have chosen to participate in. It, it's really true. And that, that was what made me nervous because I was like, first of all, I mean, just the gender roles in, in general, like, am I going to have to... Do I have to switch roles? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm tall. Like, like suddenly, do you become a follower now? Right, do I become a follower? And if, if I'm tall, like, that becomes a lot harder to, like, fit into in that community just because there's just the options for leads. It, it's just easier when the lead is a little bit taller. Right. Especially in, in international standard style where you're in frame all the time. And then this is just obviously kind of a superficial question, but as an amateur dancer, how much of the followers part are you familiar with? So, so obviously as a teacher, I'm, I have to know 
the lead sure. and the follow intimately and, and yeah. be able to break it down and teach it. But as an amateur dancer, are you called upon to really know the followers part that well, or do you focus more on the leading? I didn't know the followers part nearly as well as I would have liked. So then you're also then called upon to all of these years of practice and study on the leader's end. Now, if you were then thinking, okay, now as a transgender woman, I'm going yeah. to be kind of retooling my whole brain and learning a new style almost. Initially, that was my reaction as well. I think upon further reflection, I realized that like it's not necessarily all about just learning how to do a completely different part, backwards in and heels and whatever. <laughs> right. um, there's a great deal of balance and body control that you work on as an advanced dancer, which can play into the ability to lead or follow. Yeah, definitely. And I, granted, I was not great at it and I'm I won't exactly cop to being good at it now even but like it allowed me to if like I went to work with an instructor and they could switch roles on me and just like hey like here's what I'm trying to experience and I would even do that with my partner as well where yeah they'd be like this is why this doesn't work and we'd try to switch and and see why something wasn't working or what we were trying to create. Switching just, roles is such a good teaching tool. Oh my gosh, yeah. Because it gives you empathy for what your partner is trying to accomplish physically. Yeah, I if if there are any listeners out there who don't do this on a regular basis, I totally recommend it because anytime you're feeling stuck and you're like, well, I'm doing my part right, and then the other person goes, I'm doing my part right, <laughs> and then you know, so clearly something's wrong. You're probably both doing something wrong. Yeah, usually. Um, yeah. <laughs> One of the easiest ways to combat that is to just try to do the other person's part and see it from their end and do some comparing and contrasting. That that being said, like still not great at it on my end. <laughs> so I, yeah, I was a bit scared of like having to jump down and like, all right, how do I handle this competitively and like like a level down? There's no system for it. Both major national and international organizations don't really support this use case. Right. So you eventually landed on the decision to work with the same-sex partner, mm -hmm. but as a leading role. Yep. So one thing that I was just kind of curious about, we are so in our boxes in ballroom dancing. Yeah. Did you find that there was a difference? Because you haven't changed, I guess, I don't know what else to call it other than roles, but you you, you still were a leader, mm -hmm. right? So you're not necessarily changing your dance position completely. Mm -hmm. But did you notice a difference working with a traditionally gender role partner versus working with a same sex partner, were there any differences or did you find that it was very, very similar? I found, I think that it was very similar in just what we were trying to do. A lot of the stuff that we were changing was more superficial. I'll be perfectly honest about this. Like the stuff we were trying to do, we were trying to put together some things that we could use in just a couple months. Right. So this was not a long-term partnership. So I'm still I'm still getting into it and getting used to it myself. And a lot of the what we were changing to basically, I did, like from my perspective, I didn't want to be just looked at as like, oh, that's a guy in a dress. Yeah. Like that is like my worst fear. Well, and it's kind of interesting touching back to what you spoke on earlier. You mentioned girl mode and guy mode. Yeah. And it's hard for someone who hasn't experienced the feelings that you have mm -hmm. to have empathy. I am, you know, I try to wrap my head around those feelings. But if I'm just trying to think about what I would do if I had to be in, in guy mode and that's mm -hmm. not how I felt inside, yeah. I can't, I cannot wrap my head around that because there's something that would feel so fake and artificial and like everyone's staring at you kind of like, yeah. I, I can't wrap my head around that. So how do you approach that? I mean, as a dancer and as a person, as sort of, do you think of it as a new identity or do you think of it more as, oh, I can finally relax and just be myself? In my particular case, um, so I, I don't want anyone to make like this assumption across like transgender people. Yeah, unique from person to person. Right, right. Um, yeah, everyone's experience is so different. In many cases, for me, like it was a kind of more, I guess, the traditional narrative. I guess mm -hmm. I felt like I was born in the wrong body. Yeah, like and my body just grew up wrong. So for me, like the needs are were still are very like physical. I guess the like on the on the gender role side of it is just like hey like I'd like to be treated the way I feel but it's not necessarily like this the way I move my hand is part of my identity right um, you know it's, just, it's more of just it's part of creating how I want to be perceived for so for dance like that's just kind of an extension of like how you what the the things you're taught in everyday life and this is my interpretation at least at the moment in preparing for that a lot of things were like oh like well what do you do when you're trying to come off as more masculine as a leader or more feminine as a follow. 
what does a feminine leader look like? What does a masculine follow look like? And you know, like for a lot of people, like the, that question is answered in so many different ways, especially you look at like some of the same sex uh, competitions that are out there, or gender neutral competitions that are out there. You see, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways, but it's like, you're still like, okay, how do I want to be perceived? And right. we still have these codes, like you move your hand more gracefully, or you know, maybe you hold yourself a little bit differently. You, you articulate the way you move your like cheekbones, you know, like the way you smile a little bit differently, um, how you take your bows. Things that you just take for granted. Yes, absolutely. And you're just like, wow, I had no idea how like ingrained this was. Even just like I switched to wearing a like basically a one inch heel, which is kind of like wearing a Latin heel, but I'm wearing, but I'm doing this for standard. Do you which, feel like it affected your balance and your center of gravity or, or was it kind of negligible? Uh, center of gravity, not so much, but definitely like stepping, especially forward and backward, um, just because the way you land is different. Um, and the way you, you hold yourself is just a little bit different. Right, for sure. So that was something to get used to because you don't want to like, you don't want to make it look like you f- feel uncomfortable in the clothing you're wearing. Yeah. Especially the shoes. Yeah. Um, People can perceive that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like so quickly. We've, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. we've talked about it. I've talked about it with my friends before that any like even for people that aren't dancers that are watching dance, if there's anything sort of fake or unnatural about what you're doing, it's so perceptible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I mean, the dance world is so judgy also. Like, yeah, uh, literally <laughs> yeah. you just get people, uh, you know, like off, off and you just hear them like saying things about the couples on the floor and you're just like, man, this can get kind of toxic sometimes. Yeah. It can be really catty because we are in an industry where so much of what you do is reliant on your physical appearance and also sort of your look, your brand, however you want to think of it. It's so subjective. And, and I talked with, uh, my friend Ashley on our last episode, Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about feminism in the ballroom industry and, I think men deal with this as well. This this perception of the the masculine role in ballroom dancing is 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 one extreme, and the feminine role is another extreme. And how we deal with those elements of you know just dealing with people's opinions because people are extremely opinionated yeah. in ballroom dancing because it's an art form, it's subjective, it's aesthetics. And a lot of people are coming to that with very, very strong opinions. And they will tell you, no problem, what they think about your look and your dancing. Yeah. And, you know, that was actually one of my big fears when I started competing. Like, uh, like I started hormones before I, like, transitioned socially. Right. And, um, you know, like, I did that very purposefully. It was like, like, one, I didn't want to drag my partner. You know, if anything happened to us, I didn't want to drag her down also. And, but, like, you, you realize, like, just how easy it is for, like, a judge could be, like, Super supportive to your face, and then oh, that just didn't look good. Right. They might not even know it, and just, they're just making that judgment based on you know the preconceived notion. We do it all the time. I do it, and I'm I'm not perfect. Like, and I'm I'm living this, and I'm like I'm, I'm this like I feel like such a hypocrite sometimes. Yeah. You know, you try and you try to work on it, but it's it's stuff you work on all all the time, all the time, all the time. Yeah. Hopefully we're always constantly growing as people and becoming more and more sensitive to other people's needs. One of the things that I was curious about as we're sort of starting to talk about mm-hmm. uh, same-sex partnerships, mm-hmm. because this is relatively a newer thing in the ballroom community. Same-sex competitions are a slightly newer concept. Also, big announcements recently from the National Dance Council of America hey. and the uh, USA Dance Council. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That gender roles are going to be much more fluid in competitions going forward. Yes. So as opposed to having same-sex competitions be completely separate from a regularly sanctioned competitions, we're now going to be having those categories in regularly sanctioned competitions. So one thing that I was actually really excited about, I'm personally very excited about this announcement. I think it's incredible. I think it's very progressive. I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this. But you are on the committee for USA Dance. Yes. And one thing I found fascinating is that you told me that this was when they made this announcement, this was a decision that was a year in the making. You yeah. this is something that you guys have been talking about for a long time. How did that idea get planted as a seed and then how did it grow into this announcement because it's it's something that I think is going to be very people are going to have very strong opinions about this in the ballroom community oh sure yeah yeah. so I was not part of the the original like whoever thought about this um and I'm still not actually sure exactly where that came from but one day I got this email from the the organization that said hey USA Dance is forming a committee to 
explore gender neutrality in, um, in USA dance. And, you know, me as someone who's suddenly like either become a follow or basically nothing at all. Right. Um, this is super exciting to me. Yeah. You have options. Yeah. On a selfish note, like, Hey, I can compete dancing like still, you know, in the organization I've been participating in for a long time. So I, I threw my hat in the ring. At first, you, you kind of you jump in and it's on this remote call with a bunch of people, some in like Boston, New York, I'm in Michigan, you know, some people in Minneapolis. I don't, th- I don't think we have any West Coasters, um, but if you're all out there, you're welcome. <laughs> so we, we, we got in there and we're just, initially it was just like, you know, an hour long conversation, like once every other week and just trying to figure out what the heck are we? Right. Um, what are we trying to achieve exactly? And there wasn't really a template that we knew of to work from. Yeah, it's so groundbreaking. It's so new. It's so, I guess there's a lot of questions that are going to come into play as, as I've been talking to people Tons, about this. Yeah. You know, is equality, is fairness, two men dancing together competing against a mm-hmm. man and a woman, two women mm-hmm. dancing together. Mm-hmm. How are we sort of going to move forward with it? It's so new. The concept of doing this is so new that I don't think you can anticipate how fairness and stuff is going to play into it yet. So kind of take me through what the process is going to be as this is getting implemented. Okay. Some of this is still in, in the works. You know, part of the announcement that we made was to, in, in response to like saying, hey, like we want the world to know that we're doing this too. And we, you, you really want to make sure that you nail down like, all right, how is this going to fit within the infrastructure that we have and make the transition over from a very gendered set of rules to this gender neutral, like just a couple is two athletes. Without um, there just like being complete chaos, obviously. Right, right, right. Because there is that potential. I mean, even right now you look at, I'm not going to name names or competitions, but um, I can think of uh, incidences where like people try to push boundaries in ways that aren't productive. Right. How do we make sure that everyone feels comfortable going forward, and we don't like just throw the organizers under the bus like with like anything new that, that they aren't expecting? And you know, there's a bunch of other people that you want. Like, you want to make sure the judges are are on board and know what they're looking for, and an organizer, and that make sure people are using the right language that you don't you know, get all this way and then have someone, you know, get misgendered on the podium or something like that. Right. We've been approaching this from, okay, well, first of all, we want the the thing that needs to happen. Couple goes from male and female to person and person, athlete and athlete. And then kind of realizing like, okay, how does this play in, um, at least USA Dance, the WDSF side, there are nationals and you know, like eligibility for world team implications. And WDSF is still in the a couple is man and woman. So like we want to make sure that there is a path forward for the people who are actually eligible still. And also maybe get the ball rolling with the WDSF. Our plan, at least at the beginning, was to first and foremost like try and figure out, okay, how are we going to tell the world that this is happening without causing all sorts of chaos? Which and is almost unavoidable, I feel like. You know? it, to a degree, yeah. People are going to have extreme opinions. People are going to have opinions, but having an answer to those opinions and questions I think was key. So you kind of anticipated that and wanted to have those answers kind of locked and loaded, ready to go. Yeah. Uh, and make sure that the answers are going to be consistent across person to person. Because when we started saying gender neutral, like not everyone was on the same page. Some people were like, oh, it's going to be another category. And we're like, no, we're, this is going <laughs> to be everyone. This is a real thing. It's happening. Yeah. And then like, okay, how do you respond to that? Because then there are a lot of a gut reactions, mine included, that are going to say like, well, like... Won't the couples that have more testosterone involved going to be just bigger and, and more powerful and therefore get better scores? Right. And you you really have to, like, help people realize that, like, you've got to be better at realizing, like, how are you using your tools and creating the best dancing and not just being the highest jumpy and Yeah, the because there's floor. obviously going to be things that two men dancing together can do really well that two women can't, but there's going to be things that two women can do. It, it, it's yeah. so subjective and it's so unique. Yeah. I want to make sure that we're also including people who are non-binary as well. So like, what does that even look like? Make sure that you're not other, othering people in that category as well. Maybe they don't, they don't fit a binary. And what does that look like also? Well, and that kind of brings me to one of the other questions that I wanted to ask you, because I find myself having a lot of gray area in my own opinions on this. Mm-hmm. As just a dancer, what do you think of the gender roles in ballroom in, in terms that as of right now, and it's it's changing a little bit 
by little mm-hmm. bit, it's growing. The man's part and the woman's part, the leader's part, the follower's part, they are very, very polar extremes. Yep. What do you think about that? Even for couples that are competing today that have and, and, and this 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 announcement hasn't really, you know, gotten a chance to touch competitions maybe in a in a real way yet. No. But what and do you as a dancer think about those gender roles? That is a very deep question. Yeah, extreme uh, masculinity, <laughs> yeah. extreme femininity. I think so I guess with any dance competition, which you know, if you really like start breaking things down and, and even just like sports, like right, you, you break it all the way down and like it's just this ridiculous thing that we decided to do to compare two people or two teams or whatever. Yeah. Um so at some point you have to like figure out where right, what are my, what are the lines we're drawing um in the sand while also like including people. So I guess like the way I'm looking at it right now and it's this is super fluid, so this might be different in like a couple <laughs> weeks even. Yeah. It's just to think of it as like, okay, the roots of this dance are X and Y. Like in the case of international standard, like you're basically like trying to imitate 1920s British aristocrats, <laughs> like as well as you possibly can. Yeah. Super relevant. <laughs> right. But even like, if you go back to that, like then like there have been obvious changes in the way, like, the posture is held and interpretations on like, okay, what is actually like, what looks good and what's impressive. Constantly and, trying to sort of like push those boundaries a little right, bit. Right. Right. And it's like, especially if you like, you, um, you go out like up to the high levels and like the WDSF, like and you get some like real crazy stuff happening sometimes. And I guess I haven't paid much attention, but maybe NDCA now too. Mm-hmm. So if I take those roots and, and just think of it, okay, what does this, what does this look like if maybe the gender of the person doesn't match like the person that is pictured in the, in the root of this? Um, and what does that look like? And I got to play around a little bit with this when I competed same sex for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, I figured out, okay, like, I guess I'm not going to wear a dress or like, maybe I'll go with something that looks like it's got like a shout out to masculinity while not actually being masculine. Or like what maybe your own unique interpretation of what masculinity could yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, you just you made. I think you clarified that very well. Is it was my interpretation of like feminine masculinity, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I love. I just love the idea. We've. I, I think we're both using the word fluid a lot, and I think in taking dance as an art form and really at, at some mm-hmm. point, if we're all doing the same dance on the floor at the same time to the same music, everyone is going to look the same. And there is, yeah, right. <laughs> Snore. Like it's so boring. A lot of times my favorite couples, whether they're amateur professional program, whatever, a lot of times my favorite couples on the floor are the one couple that's doing something weird. Even if I don't like it, I'm watching them. It's different. It's cool. And one of my favorite smooth couples are Max and Tatiana. I don't know if you're if you ever watched them. They're they're I'm a little out of it right now. I'll be honest. Yeah, they're uh, smooth finalists, and they when they were first starting their competitive career, they were kind of all over the place in the finals because mm-hmm. they looked so different. She is, mm-hmm. I would say, from a traditional perspective, a lot more masculine in her dancing. She's very powerful. She's very intense. At some points, I felt like almost all of her dances look like tango because she was doing Mm -hmm. really unique things. They had samba roles in the opening of their foxtrot, and it was so (laughs) different. You were watching. And I I kind of love the idea of the fluidity of just having those roles be interpreted in a different way. I love your interpretation. When I look at the floor, my favorite couples are the ones who look like they're feeling the music the most like you can you can just see it pulsing like all the way from the feet it's those couples that like honestly they can be doing the same darn dance as far as i'm concerned but they're going to be varying degrees of like how much you just see the music and you can feel the the music through them like you could turn off the music almost don't but (laughs) just feel all that energy flowing through them and that like that's kind of what excites me and that's why i'm like there's no gender to that is like just make sure you're embodying what you the music that you're hearing. Well, and I guess at the end of the day, that's the definition of dance, right? Is movement to music. Yeah. And that's all what we're trying to interpret, I guess, yeah. in our own ways. And just puts all sorts of crazy rules to it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just slap a lot of rules on the art form. And then you've got ballroom dancing. <laughs> Thou shalt step with a heel first. <laughs> I love that. So obviously it's a brave new world. I think there's, uh, I think in the coming years, we're going to see a lot of changes in ballroom dancing and I think it's exciting. I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm really excited too. 
And I'm, I'm very grateful that there are people like you on the committees that can have a very realistic viewpoint about these changes. Because for someone like me to think of how gender roles are in dancing, it, it's from my own singular experience. And I think that we need a lot of opinions. I think we need a lot of people that are coming from all different perspectives, mm-hmm. kind of weighing in on that. As we're kind of getting into wrapping up the podcast, though, one thing that I'm just curious about you as a dancer, uh-huh. you are an international standard dancer. Yes. And With aspirations for Latin. Hey! <laughs> Latin's always fun. I always feel like this is just so... I come from an American-style background. So that's sort of my teaching experience and my competitive experience was in rhythm and smooth. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is an unspoken like war <laughs> it's, it's not unspoken styles. it's totally spoken, it's totally spoken. <laughs> um so international dancers i always feel like especially standard dancers of all of the categories of dancers i always just perceived you guys to be so serious mm. and like so like international standard dancers are always like we're better than everyone else we do everything better we know everything we're perfect we're great so i just have to ask did you willingly join that style were you just like yes this is the most supreme, the best dance style. And this is the one that I belong in. <laughs> uh, I'll be fully honest. Um, it wasn't my first choice. What was your first choice? I I think like coming out. So I I didn't start dancing until my end, like the end of college. Okay. Um, at University of Michigan, I was more skilled at. I was more interested in Latin. Interesting. I also like didn't really have much differentiation, like even between like rhythm and Latin. Like I was still in the very newbie stage of like. They're the same. And, rumba and rumba, they're the same dance. Right. And Foxtrot and Foxtrot, they're the same dance. Yeah. In fact, I even competed international Foxtrot doing American like style, like step, step, like slow, slow, quick, quick. Oh, like, like basic, basic, basic. Basic, yeah. yeah. You know, like the very first thing you learn. And they're like, no, last place. <laughs> <laughs> Don't belong in the supreme right, category. Right, right, um, So like I came out of school thinking like, all right, oh, I'm better at Latin. And even like when I got asked to be a like a volunteer assistant, at University of Vermont, like I got brought on as like the like a de facto Latin helper person because they had a lot of help in standard, but not a lot in Latin. But that same limitation that got me the like in as a Latin helper coach type person also it meant that I grew a lot faster in standard than I did in Latin. That was true in Vermont. And when I moved back to Michigan, that was still kind of true. There was just more obvious coaching options for me, like more, more like the kind of space that we needed to work on standard. So that's, you know, given our time and space constraints, that's just what we did. I feel like so many people's dance journeys in specifically what styles they end up dancing with is a lot of it is circumstantial. It's about what partner is available, what coach is available, what studio has that focus. You know, a lot of us don't just watch a bunch of dance videos and go, I'm going to compete Latin because I like it or or rhythm because I like it. It's so subjective to what your situation is. Yeah. I feel like you, you kind of get into it and then you just find out afterwards, like what the other options were. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, that's the thing is it was very much for, for, me teaching and dancing American style, it was international is stuffy (laughs) and it's boring. And come to find out in my professional competitive career, when I started getting coaching from international coaches, Mm -hmm. specifically when I was working on competing in smooth, it was drastic improvements because there was so much, you know, in American style, we're just like flopping all over the place. (laughs) We do whatever we want. And then when I started getting that perspective from the other style, I was like, oh, wow. This is, this is incredible. And it's, 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 they're very, very different, but they're very, yeah. very similar at the same time. Yeah. And I feel like like on the, on the, the flip side of that, like there's, there's a reason that the standard dancers, like as soon as you go to do a showcase, like, what do you know? They're breaking frame and like doing all sorts of it's other stuff fun. because yeah, it's, it's really fun to look at. It's yeah. entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's obviously there's pros and cons to all of the dance styles. Sometimes I think in American style, we get a little too crazy and then the lines between the dances start to become blurred. But then I also feel like that's Which is also of, true in standard. Yeah, right? Well, and it's like you mentioned before, we're trying to constantly push boundaries in yeah. the dance styles. We're, we're all trying to express ourselves. We're all trying to see what we can get away with, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also playing to your strengths. 
So I just feel like that's funny. I, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be a standard dance, uh-huh. but do you have a favorite dance? Oh my gosh. Um, all right. So I'll give you the, the standard version and then the, like the everything version. Everything version. Okay. Because uh, my favorite dance, I don't think is actually a standard dance. My favorite standard dance, it used to be the quick step just because it was like so crazy and fun. Yeah. But... I've been saying waltz for a long time at this point. Really? Um, yeah, just because I like the the style in 3-4 really invites music to be super, super um, dramatic. and For sure, yeah. Just draw out so many emotions that you can't help but feel like the conductor on the podium, the person experiencing all sorts of um, anguish or love or various other dramatic things all at once. Um, you can't help but like, just let that come out in your dancing. And, it's, and it can create a lot of variation in the same figures at least for me so definitely my state my favorite standard dance for that but overall i'd have to go with the samba oh my god i love samba i love samba so much it's different enough from all the other dances and i feel like the the complex rhythm especially like you go listen to like a brazilian samba yeah and it's just there's something happening in every like 164th of the music (laughs) it feels like and like every single drum beat every single like little cowbell every single little whatever it's not just one a two it's right ooh, ee, ah, ah. like in right. between every yeah, yeah and there's a reason like there's all the jokes about like the people in the studios <laughs> beatboxing their own samba beat well, like everyone's got their own like interpretation of that and like yeah it starts out as one a two two a two but like right. it subdivides so much and then within those subdivisions you can play with it and then like visually it just like there's so many different things you can do with even like the syllabus figures that you're given i don't know i i love it Another question for you. You've mentioned, obviously, as a dancer, we talk about music. You've mentioned music a lot. In fact, it's the thing that you said draws you to couples on the floor is how they're interpreting the music. Just out of curiosity, what kind of music are you drawn to as a dancer or not? Just like whatever you Mm -hmm. listen to in your spare time. And do you feel like that overlaps into your dancing? Or do you have two completely categories of like listening music and dancing music? Oh, I mean, I feel like there's just by nature of like the rhythms that are required for the dances, like you have to draw the line. See, I'm constantly trying to push my listening music into my dancing music all the yeah, time. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do a showcase and Lewis will be like, what is this? What would we dance to it? And I was like, I don't know. We'll just move. I want to listen to it. No, like I, I do love, I love the music that like, I don't have to like fight very hard to like figure out, okay, well, if we just adjust the backbeat or like, ah, this is good enough. Right. Like, and just let me move to it. Or you know what? I don't have to shove every single piece of listening music that I have into ballroom. Dance to it the way that like you think you should feel the way the music moves you. And sometimes not having to like have a prescribed way of moving is nice. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, like, yeah, like, I'll, you know, this is maybe partly why I love some of the show tunes, like, like Greatest Showman recent or in the last year or so, like, you know, it moves the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so finding like something is like, okay, I've got this music for prescribed motions that I also just happen to listen to sometimes. Just. Yeah, that's nice when they overlap. It's <laughs> yeah. perfect because then you can be excited about it. Right. Or in a different way. And like, someone will just. Uh, go throw on the samba playlist like just <laughs> grew out for that for a while right so I, I let i try to let them cross as much as possible yeah well i again want to thank you so much for coming and telling you. your unique story on the on the podcast as we're kind of wrapping up i just wanted to know there, there's so many things that people who haven't gone through your experience mm-hmm. take for granted we were talking a little bit just before we started podcasting about even just the the timbre of your voice and how mm-hmm. that's something that you are sensitive to and that I, I would never have even thought like oh wow that's something that you think about that's something that you work on especially as you're kind of mentioning the girl mode versus guy mode and how you've had to reconcile yourself to that. As a transgender person, is there anything that you feel like you'd like to put out there that people shouldn't take for granted or just something simple that people should be able to relate to about your experience? It's a really good question. It's really easy to have a lot of like super knee jerk reactions. And this is like another one of those things where like, I mean, above all else, no one's experience is going to be exactly the same. And like, there's going to be things that I have opinions about with regard to life as a trans woman, it's going to be different from an, to different to another trans woman, or especially trans men, or someone who's non-binary or flu, you know fluid. I think like that's probably the biggest one is that like we're all different, and you know trying trying to lump everyone into one thing, just like you know woman to woman, you know cis cis woman is cis woman, you know cis man is cis man, brother to brother or sister, like it's all different. I think the best thing that like you know I I had a lot of people 
you know, after the, the like the initial reaction because it was when he came out to someone like there's the fear of like what are they how are they going to react and then there's the initial like ten seconds after they hear it that they're processing and like their body is almost like on some sort of autopilot that they can't re- control and you almost have to ignore like the first 10 seconds after you come out to someone just because they're like they're processing so much all at once there's going to be things that you just have to like kind of blow back and then from the person who is experiencing people for the first time even if you already know someone who is trans who is gay lesbian bi non-binary any of that ask the questions that are going to be respectful to them and make them feel better first and then ask if it's okay to help educate yourself because many of us recognize that like not everyone experiences this on a regular basis and there's going to be questions that people have and it could, it's this weird balancing act between oversharing information and like how much do you want to hear as a person who's you know trying to learn but doesn't want to get blown back you know because it's, it's a you know getting into the, it's the shallow end of the pool sometimes and just making sure that you're both c- contributing to making each other feel comfortable both as the person coming out and the person who's listening, um, you know, and being surprised potentially. And yeah, and realizing that like the answers you're going to get from one person to the next aren't going to be the same necessarily. Some of them will be. I think that's great information. And you've always made me feel completely comfortable, always been very open with me and made me feel like I could ask you questions and that you could educate me on anything. And you've, I, I, I feel like been very, very generous about that. And I think that's incredible. And I'm, I'm very privileged to have you on today to have your unique perspective. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And also I'm, I'm, I hope that people listening either who may be going through a similar experience as you or who are completely, uh, in the dark about these type of experiences will get some perspective. And as, as a dancer, I'm very excited to have you in the dance community and especially representing dancers on the committees so that these decisions getting made move forward and they move forward with sensitivity and respect for the, the art form of ballroom dancing. I think that's incredible. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, it was an honor to be here. Um, really appreciated, uh, you know, all the nice things you said and really having the opportunity to, to share some of my experiences And if anyone has any questions for Elise or for future podcast episodes, feel free to shoot me an email at thedancefloorballroom at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you.